of chapter one. We have a few more pages. Um, and then we're going to have all the introduction that we need, hopefully, to be able to answer the questions in chapter two. So yesterday we were discussing um, mainly the animal soul, right? We were discussing the source of the animal soul, which is sourced in the faces of the animals on the Merkaba. And it comes down, 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 down through many, many, many layers, down through all of the spiritual worlds, all the way down to what's called Shomreha Ofanim, right? The waste of the Ofanim, of the, what's called the wheel angels. They're like going in wheels and circles. They're chaotic. To the point that the animal soul comes down into our body, the way that it, and it has all of the sorts of characteristics of an animal, even though in its source, it was an animal that was passionate about God. So our job is to remind the animal soul about its source, about where it comes from, so that we can teach the animal soul, we can redirect the passion of the animal soul from physical, useless, mundane things of this world to Hashem, right? Um, and that is obviously a very difficult process. Easier, as we could say, easier said than done. Um, but what we're going to be discussing today is how we're able, what, what's the order that we should be doing this process in? How are we supposed to get inspired and motivated to do the hard work of making our animal soul into our carbon from Hashem? So as we said, the process is that first we arouse our godly soul and we get our godly soul to teach our animal soul how to serve Hashem, which is, by the way, <clears throat> a pretty unique order. In most Maimarim, it says that first we start dealing with the animal soul stop giving in to the animal souls and then then we go to the godly soul and we bring it into the picture here it's saying similar vein to what what's learned in, are you guys learning chapter nine this year of tanya what chapter no, we're 19. 19. 19 so i think rabbi kaufman started he like goes in order throughout the years basically and i think chapter nine was when the first year that i started teaching was teaching chapter nine um so in my head he's always teaching chapter nine <laughs> Um, but in chapter 9, it discusses this order that first we arouse the godly soul, which teaches the animal soul how to get on board in serving Hashem. So that's the order that's used um, in this manner. And obviously this is a difficult avida. And what the altar is going to be discussing now is how we're supposed to, A, motivate ourselves to do this and be consistent with it, number two. Number one, how do we motivate ourselves? And number two, how do we stay consistent? And in general... Um, have we discussed the difference? I think we have the difference between Chabad Chassidus and Chagas Chassidus, the, what's called the Pailisher Chassidus. No. One's the first three, and the other one's the other three. Right, Chabad and Chagas. So, what, what would the difference be? Chabad is Chachmabinada, and Chagas is Gavoa Chesed Right. So, we're based on arousing our intellect as opposed to our emotions. Why right. doesn't it have a T in it? It's Chagas. So, so practically, what does that look like? Like, what does that look like? The fact that we use our mind and so they, not, it's not an us and them, but obviously these two different streams. One is using the mind, one is using the emotions. So Chabad Rebbeim would bring down Chassidus and it would be something that we intellectually have to approach, mm-hmm. from my understanding. Okay. But non Chabad Chassidus, you go to your Rebbeim and they inspire you mm-hmm. it, with their presence and seeing them with their avoda, mm-hmm. but they don't give over sikhahs in my mind. Right. Okay, okay, yeah, yeah. And practically what that looks like, because one is using, so to speak, the mind and the other is using the emotions, we can also characterize it as internal versus external, right? Mm-hmm. Because your mind is 
going very deep. Your emotions are more of a peripheral thing that come and go. Um, so all chassidus come from one person, comes from the Baal Shem Tov, and then the Maggid. And then the Maggid had many, many, many students. Not that many, actually. The Maggid was very selective with his students. Um, unlike other Abayim who, you know, you want to be the, the Rebbe student, come along the Maggids, all of the students were great, great tzaddikim and all went on to found their own chassidus. Um, but as we know, there was a, so to speak, a crossroads. When the Maggid passed away, everybody, every, each, um, they, basically they sat together, they were called the Chavraya Kedisha, they were a group of, I think they were 10, um, of the greatest of the, I think it was 10, but it might have been more, of the greatest of the Maggid's students, and they literally cut up and then they divided Eastern Europe um, and Russia, and they divided it up and said, okay, you go there, you can practice Chassidus as you see fit, you go there, you can practice Chassidus as you see fit, and the altar of it ended up going to No. No, forget it. So who's from he started, no? The altar came from Liadi. Maybe he went to Liadi? He went to Liadi, I think. I'll have to check that. I think he first went to Liadi. Um, but he got a certain area, okay, in, I think it's called the Ukraine. Um, I'll have to check exactly where the altar initially went. And then where Lubav. Lubavitch came in later, I think. Um, but... Basically, everyone started to run chassidim as they saw fit and get their tumbling and get their chassidim. But the altar of started doing it very di- differently than everybody else. Everybody did it in a little bit of a different way. Um, but the altar of was Chabad versus Chagas. Yes. Liyazna. Oh, Liyazna. Thank you. Okay. It's like near Lubavitch. Yes. Okay. Went to Liyazna and then they moved. They eventually moved to Lubavitch. Um, and, and it's called Chabad Lubavitch because... The Tzemach Tzedek had many sons who were all Chabad, they all became Rebbeim. But the Rebbe Maharash stayed in Lubavitch, and Chabad Lubavitch comes from the Rebbe Maharash. So that's why it's called like Chabad Lubavitch. Okay, so I went to Liyajna era. Thank you. Are there non-Lubavitch Chabad still around? Um, maybe if Gamaga knows. Okay. Are, there any, are there any Chabad... Oh, hi. Uh, are there any Hasidim today who are Chabad but not Lubavitch? Like from one of the other... No, like the Liyashna Hasidim and... Yeah, like the... Uh, there were a lot Kar- of Kappas, Kappas. There's, a lot There's of, no such thing anymore? Not so much. When no. In the early, like uh, in the 1900s, there were over 120 Hasidim Shulf in America. Wow. Uh, not specifically... And then I guess because of Tom Mimin, because there was like, I think because there was like one Chabad institution that happened to be Chabad Lubavitch, everyone sent their kids there, okay. and then everyone just, I think that's because of Tom Mimin, no? That everyone ended up going there, and then... No, I think, I think, I think the reverse is true. I think that when people came to America, a lot of them had roots in Lubavitch. Uh-huh, so the Siddur, the Nusuf that they were used to was Nusufari. Uh-huh. Not the way of life, especially the Rebbe definitely sort of tweaked it for the, the American Siddur. Mm-hmm. You know, that wasn't what they were used to back in Russia, but coming to America, that was what they were used to, and that was where it was familiar to them. So there were, there were a lot. There were over 120 Nusafari. Nusafari. all over America. So wow. interesting. It's all over interesting. America. So that, I don't know in what context it was. I hope that was. Yeah. Okay. No, yeah, I was just speaking. Okay. okay. It's actually, it's a, sad, it's a sad period of Chabad history, that the split. That is, it's a very sad. Um, but before that, the split of like the sons of Temach Tzedek, 
it was it wasn't it wasn't pretty. I guess we could call it. Um, everyone was defending their rebbe, and there was fights, and it wasn't it wasn't a it wasn't. A, it wasn't a, Hi, I'm Esther Esso. Nice to meet you. Um, do you have a... Yeah, I have a Okay, amazing. You're going to find it. Okay, amazing. So, back to the context of this. The Alter Rebbe started to teach Chabad Chassidus. Where did this idea of Chabad versus Chagas Chassidus come from? Who invented this idea that we need to make Chassidus internalized? I was going to say the Alter Rebbe, but I feel like it's a trick question. It is a trick question. <laughs> Wasn't it that the Alter Rebbe had mastered... Not, he had mastered like the rest of Yiddish, like Judaism, and he was told by the Magid that the reason it came to him so easily was because it was his mission to make a system. I could totally be wrong. Yeah, but yeah. it was his mission. Everything else had been so easy for him because he had to devote himself to making uh, like a roadmap for how to go about experiencing Chassidus if you don't. Like, if you can't experience Chassidus, if it's not right in front of you, you need a book. If you don't have the inspiration. Yeah. Yeah, that's exactly what happened. But who told the Magid that? Who told the Magid that the Altar Rebbe is the one, that the Altar is going to come to you, and that he is going to be looking for something? The Baal Shem Tov. <laughs> Good job. <laughs> the Baal Shem Tov knew about the Altar Rebbe. Didn't the Altar Rebbe? But the Baal Shem Tov never met the Altar Rebbe. Oh, no. But and the Altar Rebbe called him Zaydi, no? Yes, but he never met him. He never met him. And the, the Baal Shem Tov said that it was Messiris Nefesh for him not to meet the Alter Rebbe, but he was, he told the market, he's yours. He's your chassid and can't you know, interfere. Somebody, you can't have two rebbe. Uh, it's an interesting thing we see with the Rebbe as well. The Rebbe never met the Rebbe Rashab. Even though the Rebbe Rashab uh, was nostalgic, I think when he was in his late teens, maybe even early 20s. Who, Rebbe, our Rebbe? Our Rebbe was, was, he never met the Rebbe Rashab. And it was done on purpose, very much on purpose. He wanted to go as far as he let him go. Um, and so, you know, because he was the free to grow. He was not the free to grow. So it's an interesting thing. But the Baal Shem Tov told the Magid that the altar is going to come to him, that he's a new Neshama, a Neshama that's never come down before, and that he is going to have to be instructed to create a new system, so to speak, within, within Chassidus, a way that's able to be internalized. And that's able to be worked on on your own, and as opposed to what's the, as you said, that you go to your rebel, what's called Sadiq Be'emunasa Yichye, which means that you live off of the Emuna faith of the Tzadik, of the Rebbe. Instead, we have to do our own work. So, the market didn't tell the Alter Rebbe to build Chabad Chassidus. He said, you need to figure out something, and this is what the Alter Rebbe devoted his life to figuring out and creating <clears throat> the system. So, this minor, we're learning the minor about the by the Alter Rebbe. This mimer is very much an avayda mimer, very much an avayda, a, a, a mimer of doing the work, which is really, really what Chabad Chassidus represents. And here, now that we've discussed what the work is, the work is that we need to make, obviously there's lots of angles, but from the way we looked at it, the work is that we need to take our nefesh abams, we need to take our animal soul, and we need to sacrifice it to Hashem. We need to redirect its passions towards godliness. And the way that we do that, as we discussed, is speaking the language of the animal soul, right? We can't start to speak to a horse and start explaining to the, to the wild horse why it needs to take you from A to Z. You need to use carrots and sticks. The same thing with our animal soul. You need to speak the language of the animal soul. What's the language of the animal soul? What's good for it. What's good for it. That's all it cares about. It's not anti-God. Our animal soul is not evil. It's not <clears> bad. And it's not against God. It just doesn't really care. Because it says, well, what's in it for me? So then our job is to say, well... This and this and this and this. And every single day when we wake up and we, when we are trying to convince ourselves to do things that are hard for us in serving Hashem, we need to 
I guess we can even call it lower ourselves to the, to the level of our animal soul and speak to it on that level if we actually want it to come on board. To the point that we can get to, as we said, this is all what we discussed yesterday, Shema Yisrael, right? With both of our inclinations, with our animal inclination and our God inclination. So this is hard work. And now the altar is going to say, how do we find the motivation for this? And what do we do if we get the sudden inspiration from above? What are we supposed to do with that? Okay, and here we're going to really see the philosophy of the Alter Rebbe as opposed to the other, um, as opposed to Chagaskas, this really, really comes through. That inspiration is not enough. Right? For the Alter Rebbe, the Chassidus that was taught was Chagas? And that was the generic Yeah. Chassidus? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Um, and there was a huge opposition to the Alter Rebbe from the other Rebbeim as well, from the Misnagdim, right? From what we call Litvish, who were opposed to Hasidus as a whole, but then also within Hasidus, the Alter Rebbe faced a huge opposition. And he once said he doesn't know which was more painful, the Misnagdim or his fellow Hasidim, his fellow Chavrai Kadisha, who went against this philosophy that he evolved. Um, but here we're really, really going to see this come through. So, so the next question, the next idea that we, we went through the summer in the beginning that we're going to discuss is the idea of inspiration from above versus inspiration from below, what we call Isurusa Dilisata, an inspiration and arousal, a motivation, whatever you want to call it, from below versus an arousal from above. And those who were here in Elul, we discussed this, right? We said we were discussing the idea of the king in the field. What does it mean that the king is in the field? That we have to do our own work first. We have to start with the Ani Lododi. We have to start with the Isurusa Dilisata. King is in the field, he's there, but he doesn't look like the king. There's no great inspiration. And then by the time we get to Rosh Hashanah, we get Hashem reveals himself, right? The Yomim Narayim, Hashem reveals himself in all his glory. That's the Israel de la That's the revelation from above. So here we're speaking about the other way around. What happens if somebody gets what's called a flash, what we call, I guess you could say, a flash of inspiration? What are other things that we call it? Um, an epiphany, a light bulb moment, right? A switch. Suddenly, you wake up one morning or in the middle of the day, you feel God in a way that you didn't before, right? And some people have, have this as a very big moment in their life. Some people have little, very little moments that they can look back in their past and see. Some people have this on Yom Kippur at Ne'ila, right? So suddenly, like, it's just, yeah, this is true. This is real. God exists. Like, it just, it, you feel it in a very tangible way. So the Altarabbas question is, what are we supposed to do with these inspirations mm -hmm. so that we can actually be consistent in our service of Hashem um, and in our sacrificing of our animal soul to Hashem? So what would be, before we get into inside, what would be the downside of getting a flash of inspiration from Hashem, from above? And it's Rosa de la Ela. When you take something on too soon, like, or like you don't fully think about like the commitment before you make it, and so then you're kind of like stuck. And it's something you're always chasing too, like this experience, epiphany, like something that like you become dependent on them. Well, yeah. yeah. Like dependent on them, like or like you rely on like random inspiration to like keep your like your service. Mm -hmm. mm -hmm. Yeah. What else? What would be a, a downside? We know all the upsides, right? It makes you excited about Hashem. You start taking on things to serve Hashem. Um, experience Hashem in a real way in your life, start doing mitzvahs with more passion, start learning Torah more diligently. We know the upsides of inspiration. The downsides, as you said, we become dependent on it in order to be consistent. It's hard to be consistent because it comes and goes. And, and that's really the idea. The idea is that because you didn't work for it, you didn't change what's called your kalim, your vessels for godliness in any way. They remained the same. 
And so the inspiration comes, but then the inspiration leaves. And when the inspiration leaves, you remain the exact same person as you were before. And so it's very hard to keep up that excitement and those things that you took on when you had the inspiration. So the altar is going to be discussing what are we supposed to do? What are we supposed to do with inspiration so that we can cons- be consistent in our service of Hashem? Because we know that Hashem doesn't say, okay, um, serve me with all of your heart, with all of your heart, with all of your love, with all of your might. Love me only when I inspire you. Hashem says you need to do it every single day, consistently all the time. So how are we supposed to be consistent in our Avodah? So we know what do Gas Hasidim do? Because they do depend on inspiration. They do depend on the Tzaddik. Their Rebbe, they go to their Rebbe and they hear the Rebbe's Torah, they sit in the Rebbe's presence, they eat the Rebbe's food and the righteousness and the holiness of, that, of the Rebbe inspires them to serve Hashem as a Chassid should and as a Jew should. And what, what they end up doing in order to be consistent with that is put up what we can call gates and big barriers and not venture out into the outside world. And the, the reason for that is not because... They hate the outside world, but because when, you're, when your vessels haven't changed, you can't be exposed to those sorts of things. Because what if the inspiration is, what if you're not with your Rebbe at that moment and suddenly you get exposed to something? It's not going, it's not going to work, right? So, so the reason why we know we see, we see what we call gated communities, we see the big signs as you walk into Meir Sharm, it's not a, that they hate other people. It's that this is the way the Hasidus was built. That we rely on inspiration from inspiration to inspiration from our Abayim, from the dancing, from the singing, from the emotions, right? And in the in-between times, between that inspiration, we need to guard ourselves because we're not internally changed. Okay. So the question is, okay, if we're going to be following Chabad Hasidus, how do we change internally in a way that even when the inspiration is not there, we can be consistent in serving Hashem? That makes sense so far? Okay, so let's go inside now. We're going to be speaking about the concept of Isra de Sata and Isra Sitilayla. We're on page 10 or 11? 10. 10. 10. Okay. So we finished off until now inside discussing the source of the godly soul, the source of the animal soul. The godly soul comes from what's called Adam Ha'elion on the Merkava, very, very high spiritual level, right? And the animal soul comes from the animals on the Merkava, also very high spiritual level, lower than the animals, lower than the source of the godly soul, but from a very high place. And we said that when the godly soul and the animal soul learn to work together, the godly soul gets an elevation as well. The godly soul is able to reach a place it could not reach if it was working alone, or if it had just stayed up in heaven and never come down into the body in the first place. Okay. Vihine. Now, uh, page 10 at the top. Alas, what's called Mayim Nukvin. Through elevating what's called the feminine waters, the Isrusid Lasato, or another name for this concept, is an arousal from below. The idea of feminine waters versus the male waters is the idea that, why is it called water? Because water, we know, goes through a cycle. Water, like the, I think, what's called the surface of the ocean, and any body of water sort of like evaporates up and goes up and up and builds up into clouds and then comes back down. So that's why it's called, it's called the, the lower water and the upper water. It depends. Is the water going upwards or is the water coming back down? And it's called fe- the, the feminine energy um, represents the work of going from down here up there, what's called the Nisrosa de la Sata. And the male energy is that you're giving from above, Nisrosa de Leila. So through elevating what's called the feminine waters, through doing our own work, through arousing and inspiring ourselves down here, 
Nimshach is sorcet al We draw down from above an arousal from above. We draw down the, the rain, we can call it, the, the male waters. They build up into clouds, and then they come back down as rain. We can, we can reap the rewards of that effort. Well, we're going to be discussing that actually the work of down here is more important. Oh. So, if that helps, <laughs> if that helps. Um, there's a reason for it, and I'm, I'm, I'm not remembering why. Why? It, this week's Pasha discusses it a lot. Um, last week's Pasha, Tazri and Matsaira, the Maimar are all speaking about um, the feminine versus the, ma- the masculine, and that the feminine represents the work down here, and the masculine represents the inspiration from above. Um, but it's also in the greater context that the Jewish people are called the bride of Hashem. We're called Knesset Yisrael. Knesset is female, right? Mm-hmm. Segel, segel, tough is yeah. female. So we are the bride of Hashem. So when we do our work, which is the feminine, then Hashem, who's the masculine, who's the, the chatan in the relationship, the male, he then re- responds. So there's also that reason. So we're not, we're not speaking about physical males and females. Right now in this context, we're speaking about um, the spiritual representation of each one. And Hasidus does explain that within each one of us, we have female and male energies. We have both of these within ourselves as well. Um, so if, if, that, if that helps, if that helps. Okay, so the idea is, that, so let's see, I, I like how it puts it here, through the person picking himself up spiritually through prayer to be able to receive Hashem's revelation. And then we have the Isrusa de la Sata, the awakening from the person below that brings about an Isrusa de la an awakening from Hashem above. So how are we able to be consistent with sacrificing our animal soul every single day, doing the hard work to speak to our animal soul and bring it on board in serving Hashem. We need to do the work down here, which will then inspire an inspiration from above and Hashem will reveal himself in a way that makes it easier. Okay. So, we see this idea within, well, the karbonot. So, it says about the karbonot that they gave to Hashem they gave a pleasing aroma to Hashem. And... If you look at the word nichoach, it's similar to the word nachat. Nachat means to come down, to land. Also in modern Hebrew, they say nachat is, is to land, like to land a plane, to bring it down. So the idea is reach, smell, smell goes upwards, it goes up. That's, that's our effort, that's the korban going up. And then nichoach is the idea that Hashem nachat, that his inspiration comes back down. We also see this, that, um, and we've discussed this before, that in the process of korbanot, which we know the process of davening is in place of the korbanot, the process of working on ourselves and inspiring ourselves so we can get a revelation from above, that the kohen always had to light a small fire on the korban, right? And then a fire would descend from heaven and consume the korban. So we see this process. First, the simple person, he's called the simple kohen, even though there probably wasn't such a thing as a simple kohen in the base of Mikdash, but the person would light the fire, do the effort, do the work, inspire himself, light the fire within himself, and then Hashem would respond with the Isra with the fire from above. The Zohar says it would come down in the shape of a lion and consume the korban. Okay. So it says, in the Maimarim, for Pasha's Pinchas and Akutei Torah, the Altarabi explains the mystical meaning behind this phrase. So reach, aroma, is something that wafts upward into the air like smoke that rises. This is a reference to our service of prayer where we lift ourselves up spiritually just like a smell or smoke rises up. And obviously this was the process of coming and bringing the carbon, right? And putting it on the altar. Nichach, pleasing, is related to the word 
the root word of chet vav taf, which is also the root word of nachat, which means to descend or go down in level. Lahavayat Hashem, meaning that through our spiritual elevation accomplished during prayer, reach, we cause that Hashem, Lahavaya, should want to descend, nichach, in order to be revealed to us. So this is the process that we do our work and it gets responded from above with, uh, with an arousal from above, as we discussed at length in Anil Dodi, in the Mimer of Anil Dodi as well. So the Hine, the Chinazu, so this process, Zeu Inyan Masha Sata, we see that first there needs to be an arousal from below, work from our end, inspire and motivate ourselves to serve Hashem, and then Isrusa Dela'ila. And then Hashem responds with some inspiration, right? And all the different forms that Hashem takes to inspire us. It could be from other people, but from something outside of ourselves and outside of our own work and outside of, of what we've earned. So it's saying we have to inspire ourselves for Hashem to inspire us. So that is the usual process. Now we're going to see an exception. Ah, however, there's an exception. Yesh Gamken, there's also the process where it's reversed. First, there is an arousal from above or from something outside of yourself. So it could be another person inspiring you, um, not based on your own work, or Hashem revealing himself in whichever way to you. And it's drawn down and it awakens you to do your work down here in Sata. So sometimes the process is reversed. That first we start with the inspiration and then we go on to take action um, on, of our, based on our own efforts and our own abilities. And each of you might have experienced that in some different way where first you got inspired from something outside of yourself, not based on what you had um, earned. And then you took that inspiration and, and, and made it something for yourself. So, Tahainu, this means, what does this process look like? The second, this reversal, so to speak, of the process. To awaken the person. To wake him up from his sleep. In the nothingness of the world. There's an interesting story. I don't remember his name. There was a chassid who, after the Rebetzin passed away, Rebetzin Chaim Mushka, he would cook for the Rebbe. That was his job. And so... The first time that he cooked, he was downstairs in the basement. He cooked the whole meal, he burnt everything, he started again. He made the meal. And um, later that day, he describes that he had a full, and he called it a Yom Kippur moment. You know that moment in the Illa where like everyone's saying Shema Yisrael and it's like that feeling of real arousal to Teshuvah. You have that feeling, this year is gonna be different. Right? This year I'm going to do this and this and this. I'm going to make Hashem a priority. He had that moment in the middle of a work day, in the middle of a work week. And when he looked back at the moment that that happened, um, it was the exact same time that the Rebbe was eating the food that he had cooked. So it's a very interesting thing. But he says, and he relates the story. Uh, sorry that I don't remember his name. He says that he rode with it. He, he used this inspiration. He really started to work on himself and take on certain things so that this inspiration was something he could really live with. But this happens to people sometimes, just random moments. It'd be a random afternoon in the middle of the week, and suddenly we just get this godly consciousness. And this is a gift that we get from Hashem. And it, it's a process where we get woken up from our sleep, right, from the unconsciousness that we generally uh, live in in Galut, where we don't feel Hashem, we don't really care about Hashem in a tangible, um, outward way, and suddenly... There's a flash, there's an insight, there's a revelation, there's an epiphany. We care about Hashem. We want to do what Hashem wants. Hashem feels real in our life. As we see, 
Dikmah, we see this process where first there's the inspiration, there's the giving from above, and then there's the reciprocation from below. We see this at the beginning of creation. It's brought down that Hashem created the world with free chesed, with free kindness. That no, nobody deserved for the world to be created, obviously, because we hadn't existed yet. But Hashem gave and gave and gave in the process of creation. As it says, because Hashem desires kindness. Hashem's primary, I guess we could say, character trait is kindness, is giving. And Hashem created the world in a way of giving. But then, what he, as soon as he created the world and he gave all the beauty, all the trees, all the animals, he created man, and he gave and he gave all the abilities and all the potential to the world, then what did Hashem say? Afterwards, then it depended on the work of those down here. As it says, as it says, Hashem placed Adam in the Garden of Eden to work it and to God. So first Hashem created the world. He gave, he gave, he gave, he gave, he gave. He aroused, he inspired. And then Hashem said, okay, Adam, Chava, I've given you everything. Here's this beautiful world that I've given you for free. You didn't deserve it because you didn't even exist. Now go and work. That's what it says. Why did Hashem place him in the Garden of Eden? To work there, to cultivate it and to protect it, to do the work. Now it's your turn, now that I've given and given and given for you to actually do the work from down below. So when Hashem first made the world, it was just an expression of Hashem's kindness. No one was around to serve Hashem, so no one was deserving of this kindness. And we see after Hashem made the first man, Adam, Hashem made the bestowal of his kindness depend on the actions of people. Hashem said that if Adam spiritually tends to the Garden of Eden by serving Hashem there, then he would live forever. Right? Have you guys heard that idea? That he had a few hours to just do what Hashem said, and then that's it, Mashiach would have come. Mashiach would have come by Shabbos. He was created Erev Shabbos. A few hours later, Mashiach would have come. Instead, we're still waiting. Okay? Um, Hashem made the bestowal of his kindness depend on the actions of people. If he would not serve Hashem by eating from the tree of knowledge in the wrong time, then he would die. We see that Hashem's kindness to Adam became dependent on his actions immediately after he was created and given the ability to serve Hashem. So too, after Hashem initially wakes up a person to his service from Hashem's undeserved kindness, all the revelation of Hashem a person receives depends on his own spiritual service of Hashem. So what's going to last? How do we make ourselves not dependent on, I guess we could say, um, arousal junkies, right? That we just need the next fix of inspiration, right? Um, how do we make this something that's able to be consistent and internalized within ourselves by what's called riding the wave, not just riding the wave of the inspiration, but actually, I guess we could call it riding the wave of the inspiration. Instead of letting it just crash over and wash over you, you learn to ride the wave in a way that you take that inspiration and you make it real for yourself. We see this process very much. The Rebbe was very into that. At every Fabrengen, at the end, there needs to be Hachlatot, right? There needs to be uh, resolutions, good resolutions that are taken on. Because what's a Fabrengen? A Fabrengen is a time to sit together and to inspire ourselves to serve God, right? I mean, obviously, there's different definitions of what a Fabrengen is, but that's basically it. Sit down and inspire yourself, inspire others to care about serving God in the best way possible, with love, with joy, with excitement. So we can bring stories and we can sing songs and we can get all excited. But if you don't take something on, practically at the end that you're going to do even though it's hard you're going to wake up the next morning i've definitely had this experience many many times this whole inspiring evening you wake up the next morning and you're the exact same person right and it's almost scary how easy it is to just go back right and you guys just had pace up so you might have seen that you had 
months and months and months of learning every single day in Maya, not within a framework, this inspiration, and then Pesach, I don't know, I remember for me in seminary, Pesach was like the biggest shock of my life because I was the exact same person as, as before, before seminary. I was shocked. I was like, I, I do not, I couldn't believe it. I was so excited and so inspired. And then I went to this Pesach program in Canada and I was like the same person. Um, that then inspired me that when I went back, right, to, to, to inspire myself in a way that can actually be a little bit more consistent even after I leave. Um, but I don't know who and if you experience that yourselves, but sometimes when you, become, when you don't ride the wave of the inspiration, when you don't practically take things on and do the hard work within yourself to change yourself, to change your vessels, the inspiration comes and it goes. Easy come, easy go, right? <clears throat> we see this, and I've brought this example many times, I like this example, that a large, large, large majority of lottery winners, if they were poor before they won the lottery, within five to ten years, they end up this with the same amount of money as before they won the lottery. And the idea, like, why? You know, you've been dreaming about money your whole life. Now you have money. Go get a financial planner. I don't know, like, invest the money. Have money for the rest of your life. But it's all gone. And the reason is because... They didn't do the work to earn that money. So I guess, A, you can say you don't value the money. But even if you do value the money, you don't have the tools to hold on to it. Right? As a person builds wealth slowly, they also build the tools and the, they learn the responsibilities and the lessons that come with having a lot of money so that they can actually keep it. And um, we see that also that I think generational wealth is all lost within three generations, something like that. Um, even if, like like somebody was a multi-billionaire within three generations the money's it's gone and the reason is because the, the one person worked so so hard to make the money and he built himself and his character up along the way then maybe the kids learned a little bit from the dad but the time the grandkids come around they they haven't done the work the money comes and the money goes the same thing with our spiritual service that if you don't do the work to change yourself and what, what do we say that looks like changing yourself is bringing your animal soul on board is talking to your animal soul and getting it to serve Hashem and speaking the language of the animal to do so, then the inspiration will come and the inspiration will go. Yes. As it might be a bit controversial and kind of off topic, but like by saying that Hashem kindly made the world for us, He didn't have to make us, so we kind of like owe to Him to do this work towards Him. I don't like. What does it say? Oh, well, that's how I'm interpreting. <laughs> but I, it's, it's, interpreting. Yeah, yeah okay. that's a good word. <laughs> I don't know, I just feel like Hashem chose to create us. We didn't choose to be created. So why should, like, we feel that pressure to have to, like, like, oh, how do I word it? Like, serve Hashem. Like, we didn't ask Hashem to create us. Or why yeah. do we have to, like, serve Hashem, something that was out of our control? Yeah. You can say the same question, and I've said this to my parents. Um, I didn't choose for you to make me, right? And now I have to, like, listen to you? Like... It's your problem yeah. that I'm here, right? I didn't choose this. I, I, I said that as a kid to my parents, for sure. Um, it's the same thing. Like, okay, I didn't choose for you to make me. You made me. And now, um, so it's a good question. Um, I remember learning within this context, that there's obviously many ways I could go. I'll tell you something that just comes to mind, is that what is the kindness that God gave us, specifically in this context? What does it mean that God created the world of Chesed Chinam? That he created man and the world in a way that it's able to reach the divine. And that's the kindness that Hashem gave us because he could have just made us people that would never be able to actually connect to him. But he created us in a way that we have the potential. And this is, I don't remember the source, I'm so sorry, but I do remember learning within this context 
What's the chesed that Hashem gave us? That he had created Adam, he created man in a way that he's able to murder God. And that was the kindness. So, so it wasn't the fact that he just, created us, it was the fact that he created us with that ability to reach. To reach way beyond our own yeah. self. Yeah. Yeah. And we see, we see it manifest. I also saw an interesting thing that we, we saw it manifest that at the beginning of creation, it was all chesed. And that's the reason why um, brothers and sisters were, were like marrying each other. Um, well, first of all, because there was no choice. But also because there was just so much chesed. There wasn't any gavur, there wasn't any restraint. You also see it practically in the way that the world was running at that time. But then Hashem said, okay. Oh, they're doing big practice drills. It's, it's scary noise. Yeah. Did you guys hear that last week? I think yeah. It was, was, was right like outside my window. I literally just got home. I just got home. I was literally like, I was taking oh, a nap. And suddenly I'm like woken up, I, my eye opens, and I'm like, the wall. And, then, and then Lila just screams, there's plants outside. I'm like, what? No, I see, you don't, everyone was panicking. And they then make they such a loud noise, and they look like they're about to just go straight through your window. Yeah. Like, yeah. That's what. Yeah. They were coming right by me, and I was I like, it's 9 11. I know. I have videos. I was like, waiting to hear the bomb drop. I have videos. So they send out, I didn't know this either, but they send out like to everyone. They're, yeah. they're going to be doing drills at well, the we same time. We didn't get that. didn't get the memo. But I saw them flying around this morning as well. So yeah, I heard them say something. Yeah. It's not that Hashem created us and we owe Him our service, it's realizing what you were created for. Like it's a different framing. Yes. I mean, you were ultimately created for this purpose. It's not like, oh, you. It, we're not paying Hashem back. You could never pay Hashem back for all that He gave you. It's just like mm-hmm. reminding yourself, like, oh, this is why I was actually created in the first place. Mm-hmm. I dropped. What did you say after? Yeah, but ultimately being created to change yourself. Then what? Then the moment Wait, the inspiration goes away, you remain the exact same person. So basically, it's a wasted opportunity. Yeah. And we'll continue discussing this tomorrow. Um, but yeah, and I guess it's something to think about also. Was that why do we? What? Why do we need to honor our parents? Well, because they're our parents. But we didn't choose for them to be our parents. They chose for us to be our to become our parents. And so it's something to think about. Like I, I, I have to think about it. Um, there's a lot, a lot of ways to go with it. No, but there's something to think about. Like Hannah was saying, like, Hashem created with the purpose to serve Him, and then like. But then doesn't that contradict the whole concept of we had that the free will to choose to serve him? Like, it is so but why is our purpose to serve him? Should we have the ability to choose to serve him? Should we want to serve him? Well, he created us with the ability to serve him and the choice. With the ability and the choice. And that's a gift because he gave us the ability. And that's a challenge because he gave us a choice and we can also choose things that look a lot easier than that. Yeah. 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 Okay, so so we'll continue with this tomorrow. Thank we'll you. finish chapter one, please God, tomorrow. Today is Monday. Monday. Okay. Monday.